This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. We're receiving emails and phone calls and contact submissions from the website and private messages daily from those that are fleeing the cult of William Branham. It's a brave new step and one deserving of thoughts and prayers from all who have been set free. And new apologetic websites are launching. Just last night we received a notification that a new Branham cult apologetic site was launching in Romania. And people are starting to realize that not only were they following a false prophet, they were tricked into false teaching. One statement found on the site made a very strong point. As one person realized that they were deceived, it sent them into a state of shock with sudden physical effects. Difficulty in eating and their head was aching and extreme stress because of the sudden realization that the man that they once thought was a humble, gentle servant was a wolf in sheep's clothing. The astounding point was when they realized that they had received Branham into their hearts instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. If they had received the Lord Jesus Christ into their hearts, they would not have been bothered so badly. You see, their focus was in the wrong place. With each new person that makes an exit from this cult of bondage, the same question is asked. Where do we go from here? And this question reminds me of the words that were spoken by Simon Peter in the Bible. Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John 6, 68. You see, we were taught that something else was the voice of God, and that the Bible had an additional spoken word. And it was not the voice of God from the Bible. It was the voice of a man who sounded like a soothing, gentle peacemaker in the beginning, but then showed his true colors towards the end of his life. Having been taught that this set of sermons, filled with a man giving fictional stories about himself, false prophecy and false teaching, are the new voice of God, it makes the question very difficult. To whom shall we go? 
To make matters worse, there are many angry cult members who sit watching each forum post and social thread trying to confuse the matter. Their argument is that if William Branham was not the Elijah for this day, then who is? And they continue to fill the, the thread with mistakes of fallen soldiers who once spread the gospel. In fact, we had one gentleman on our forum, assuming it was a man, who started filling the forum with post after post after post of women and men of the new health and wealth gospel variety who were still preaching while filled with sin. They did not even realize that Branham himself was the founding father to this movement. These are the fruits of that spirit. Others who are unwilling to study the scriptures, or the many in the line of Malachi 4 prophets, use the argument that they're expecting a new Elijah. And William Branham is the only man they can still find today who claimed to be this new Elijah. It doesn't take much to see that William Branham was just one of the many branches that bore this Elijah fruit. The man that Branham and F.F. F. Bosworth and many of Branham's associates respected was also believed to be a Malachi IV prophet, John Alexander Dowie. William Souders, who Branham seemed to have copied his baptismal commission story, was also another Malachi IV prophet. One man took a single verse from Matthew 17, which is the cult's programmed response, where Jesus says, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But they did not read the rest of the paragraph. Jesus continues, and he says, But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not receive him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will suffer at their hands. The next verse is very important. He said, the Bible says, Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. That's the ending to this entire paragraph. And he's speaking of John the Baptist. The Bible foretold the coming of Christ all down through the prophets. This was a big event, one that was announced. John the Baptist was the last announcer for the first coming of Christ. But you must add to the scriptures if you try to teach somebody that there is an announcer for the second coming. Even Jesus himself says that it will be a sudden coming that will catch many unaware. And if it's going to be a surprise, there can't be an announcer. But to the question, to whom shall we go? It's a difficult one. The answer is different for every single family, in every single city, in every single country around the world. And it's not a decision that any of the apologetics websites can make for you. This is something that must be received through prayer and guidance by the Holy Spirit. Some have felt led by the Spirit to stay in the Branham cult, knowing that it is a cult of false teaching. And their decision through prayer was based on a strong feeling of pain for those people that are trapped in the cult. 
They want to help them to be set free. And they want to work directly with the people that they're trying to help. It's a burden on their hearts. And this is dangerous ground. It reminds me of Sean Connery riding with Indiana Jones into the lion's den of Nazi Germany when he said, We're pilgrims in an unholy land, Indy. <laughs> I've heard other apologetics come out against this, against those staying in the cult, because they're eating tainted spiritual food. But I can't disagree with their leading by the Spirit. God will never fail us. He will never let us fall beyond His reach. In the cult, we were afraid of outside spirits. The spirit of question was the greatest fear. That spirit might just drag you down to hell. But the Bible is very clear. When Christ sent His Spirit to all flesh, we were given power over the spirits. And there's no spirit that Christ has not been given authority over. The same thing was argued when Paul was preaching to the men and women in the cities that were filled with pagan temple worship. And they were even afraid to eat the meat that was used in pagan sacrifice, unclean meat according to the Mosaic law that's under the Old Covenant. But Paul makes it very easy for us in Colossians 2. He says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And just because the cult is under guidance by a sensuous mind, a man without reason who elevated himself into authority under the worship of his angel, there is no need to fear. And we can't judge those who feel led to brave the elements to help extend a helping hand for those people who are trapped inside the cult. But there are many who are sick to their stomachs when hearing sermon after sermon after sermon by these cult pastors trying to defend these fabricated stories that have no defense. Those are the ones who are asking, to whom shall we go? Especially the families who have children that are of an age to be molded into the men and women that they're going to become. That anger and that hatred of outsiders is very damaging to a personality. And the programming that is being applied to their minds is actually quite dangerous long term. Those families, for protection of their children, are fleeing once they become brave enough to flee. But before coming brave and before moving on, they have to know where they're going. For my family, it was very easy. We knew that the Branham cult was wrong and that our children were at stake. But we had the same question, to whom shall we go? Our family was deeply involved with the homeschool program put together by members of the cult in Jeffersonville, Indiana. When it started, 
we could feel the love and respect that you would expect from any Christian. But when the elders of the church, high-ranking elders, got involved, only the cult were welcome. Some were asked to actually leave because they did not believe in William Branham, even though they were Christians. And they were Christians with enough respect that they even dressed like the cult so as not to offend. We left seeds of hatred, but found an alternative. A local church had put together an outreach program for children of the city, and they freely allowed any child to participate in a basketball program and offered a gymnasium with seating and accommodation for families who were able to let their children play with these children of the church. And though it was basketball, it was a sport instead of preach, uh, preaching. They were showing the love that Christ displayed to other people, some of which had never known the love of Christ. And new faces started showing up in the church, eager to hear more about this Jesus who died for the sins of the world. Though the program was intended for children, new souls were led to Christ. For our family, this was absolutely amazing. We had never even seen an outreach program within the cult. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Don't go around those outsiders or you'll yoke yourself with unbelievers. If the early Christians had done the same thing, there would not be a single church remaining, Christian church. But to the question, to whom shall we go? It's easily answered. Go to Christ. Let Christ be your prophet. Let Christ be your counselor, your pastor, and your savior. Let Christ be your everything. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And the Holy Spirit will protect you in your decision. If you can't decide for yourself, the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus Christ will decide for you. And you can't make a bad decision. Those are called learning experiences. If the Spirit is offended, He's going to tell you about it. My advice would be that you find a healthy church. A healthy church is essential, especially having been programmed with the teachings that are not found in Scripture. You need people that are willing to show you what the Bible says and to help you to deprogram, which is a very lengthy process. To this day, I still find Bible stories and scriptures that are not found in the Bible but are programmed in my head. And others in the church who are confused when I make these statements that I find later are extra-biblical. To counter this, I find myself reading the Bible over and over and over, trying to cleanse out all of the fiction. You'll find many articles and books of what it takes to make a healthy church. But you'll find that these are for new converts to Christ, not people who have been programmed to follow a leader. Religious cults have one powerful hand of control closely knit groups of people. Normally this is a good thing, but in most cults the bonds are so close that they become unhealthy. Minds start to think alike and thoughts seem to become unified. 
the one mind, one spirit that is referring to Christ is changed to apply to the individual personalities. And each personalities, they begin to start to match over time. And people do not even realize it until they make their exit. First and foremost, a healthy church glorifies God. You won't find a pastor in a healthy church going on and on about stories of his past life, stories that lifts himself up in respect for the people. A healthy church pastor lifts Christ. God is magnified above all others. A healthy church pastor admits faults and shortcomings. All men sin, and for this reason Christ was slain on the cross. Christ came to save the sinners, not to save the saved. And if you have a pastor who tries to convince you that he's close to perfect, then you have a pastor who is filled with the sin of pride. A healthy church pastor will ask himself before each statement, will this glorify God or will this magnify myself? Or, in the case of the cult, will this magnify William Branham? A healthy sermon is one that is solely based upon the Bible. In context, actual chapters of text. The new term for this is called expositional preaching. And expositional preaching adds nothing to the scriptures and it takes nothing away. This is what the Bible says, people. This is how we live it. And these are some examples in life where this applies. And this is what we need to look for in our daily lives. You won't find any extra biblical or extra uh, man's doctrine, man-made doctrines in expositional preaching. If it's not in the Bible, don't touch it. A healthy church member goes to a healthy church. And a healthy church promotes fellowship. You'll find that many churches, new churches, that now split into small groups of people, and they meet in each other's houses, like the early church did in the book of Acts. Each person is helping one another to grow in faith and to learn more about Jesus Christ, bearing each other's burdens. These groups promote confession of sin, because prayer requests are no longer like you find in the, in the cults. How many have an unspoken request? Each person discusses their needs, big or small. And they pray for God to intervene in the lives of each other. Each person has compassion for one another and offers a helping hand wherever possible. A healthy church reaches out to others. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a secret that we can put into a bottle and hide into the cupboard. It is a gospel that makes us yearn to tell others about it. It is the good news that God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world so that we don't have to. It's the wonderful story, the most wonderful story since the beginning of time. If a church does not reach out to others, it stands a great chance of becoming a commune. Churches that do not grow must be filled from the inside. And to survive, it must place barriers around every single person who attempts to leave. Look at the cult churches that we have today. 
Now that word is spreading that William Branham is a false prophet, they're in big trouble because they have no outreach programs. His families are leaving one by one. This is one more empty seat that is not likely to be filled. And the more empty seats that you find in the congregation, the more that those remaining become unsettled. Most of all, a healthy church is contagious. Its members are not embarrassed to invite others. And when they do, others are curious to see what makes these people so happy in these churches, in these healthy churches. Out, instead of outside members saying, well, I'm not sure, that's not in my Bible. They're eager to hear some stories, that, uh, some good old-fashioned preaching of the gospel. Stories that are contained in the Bible. And the gospel is the fundamental element. In my 37 years of sitting in the seats of those hard pews, I can't honestly say that I ever heard what the gospel of Jesus Christ actually was. I knew all of the elements, but I didn't realize that the gospel was the doctrine that we should be spreading, not some mystery that was hidden from the world. Acts 2, 42-47 describe the characteristics of a healthy church. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And an awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. If your church is not like this, if God is not adding, adding to your number day by day, then you might have a problem. We will continue to pray for everyone who is now leaving and searching for a new church home that preaches the gospel instead of the continual memorial service of a man. May the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you and direct you in your decision, whatever the situation.